How do you stay healthy before, during, and after divorce? Come find out on episode number 27 of the Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed podcast. Welcome back to the show. My name is John Nocklinger. I'm a recovering divorce attorney and the founder and head coach of Divorce Shield, the only company exclusively devoted to training men how to plan and prepare for divorce. Today, my guest is Ursulan Ali. He is a certified personal trainer and certified nutritionist. He spent years in such places like the New York Sports Club and Equinox, helping people learn how to get and stay healthy. He developed the fast hit training method and is the head coach of um, FitBody, a virtual training program for gay, bi, and trans men who want to lose up to 40 pounds in 90 days without going to the gym. Most importantly, guys, he's a personal trainer to the stars. And by stars, I mean me, of course. He has been kicking my ass, and he is here to start whipping you guys into shape. You can check him out on Facebook. I'll put a link in the comments to his Facebook page. Thank you for being here, Ursulan. Thank you for having me, John. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your awesome podcast. <laughs> well, the pleasure is all ours. So I have so many questions for you about how people can stay healthy when the world is crumbling around them and they are so stressed out. So why don't we just start kind of at the beginning? Sure. What does stress like divorce do to your body? Right. Well, I haven't obviously been through anything like divorce, <laughs> but at a biological level, really stress is one thing that affects us all in the same way. So whether you're dealing with financial stress or physical stress from a disease or even mental stress from an event like divorce, stress affects our body in the exact same way. And really what it does is it contributes to the breaking down of our body, of our immune system of and of our health. And really what it does, it's a short-term response that is supposed to be there to help us battle through what we're dealing with from a biological standpoint really what it does is it puts you in a fight and flight mode and it's a natural normal response the problem becomes when you begin living in stress on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to using stress as a mechanism to help you through what you're actually facing is this the same fight or flight mode that you would have if, you know, a, a line was charging at you? Absolutely. So, so that line is your, you know, a stressful situation. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you're going through financial um, problems, like you're heading towards bankruptcy or divorce, or maybe someone's really sick in your family. It could just be, I guess, just about anything that's really causing you those problems. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, now that you know, we identify that that um, stress really causes problems in your body. What exactly, what exactly is it doing to your body, and why do you need to actually address it before you actually address your habits like eating and exercise? Well, it's because of exactly what you said. When a lion's chasing you, there's really no time to worry about what you're putting in your body. There's no time to worry about exercise. Um, during that moment in time, the best thing that you can do is get your body back into rest and digest mode 
And then from there, that's where creative thinking happens. That's where critical and analytical thinking happens. And that's where you're really empowered to make a decision forward as opposed to being in a emotional state that's not really serving you. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I love this whole concept of rest and digest mode. I mean, that's, I've never heard that before. That's really, that's really interesting that you need to be in that kind of mode in order to, um, to be healthy. But how do you know, Ursulon, whether you're in fight or flight mode? I mean, we can't actually, we don't actually see a line coming at us. So how do we know that we're in that mode? Well, um, the, the really, the way I like to describe it is this, like, First, if you are finding yourself in a mood that's not serving you, that's negative per se, what ends up happening is that mood is created by negative emotions. And then that mood ends up turning into an attitude if it's not, in, if, if it's not kept in check. And then that attitude turns into a personality. So like you've ever heard anyone say like, oh, I'm just in a bad mood today. Like you're in a prolonged state of fight and flight. Right. So that's one way, just really understanding, like, what is the self-talk that's going on in your own mind, but also like, what is your overall mood? And then the other way is just recognizing, like, are your shoulders tight? Like, are you raised up your shoulders and like relaxing your shoulders? Is your breathing shallow or is it deep? Right. So like, these are other signals to know whether or not you're in fight and flight. But, but really, like I would say with the modern world and everything going on, it's very likely that you're getting put into fight and flight at least once a day. So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about like an animal that um, is out in the wild and, you know, has the same instincts that we do in terms of fight or flight. So you know, what makes us different than animals uh, when it comes to these sorts of things? I love that you asked that. Um, so really when something happens, like an animal is chasing you, there's a stimulus, the animal is chasing you. And then from that stimulus, you have a response. And the difference between human beings and every other animal is that we can create that space in between stimulus and response by using our prefrontal cortex or our new brain, right? This is what really separates us from other mammals. And what this allows us to do is something called metacognition. And all that simply means is we can be aware of our own thinking patterns and thinking processes. Now, when you have that stimulus and that response, you can actually create some space in between that. And that's where you have the power to choose whether you're going to respond in a way that's proactive and that moves you forward and serves you or in a way that's reactive and really without much thought to it. All right. I'm glad you defined that word because I, I can't even repeat it. It's such a big word. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you're in fight or flight mode. Um, you're in a bad mood. Um, you're going towards having you know that bad mood turn into a personality. What are some of the things you can do um, in the moment on a daily basis to try to fight against this. Right. So like I was saying earlier, stress is a completely normal, natural and necessary response that your body has to some sort of stimulus in your environment. So the best thing that you can do to communicate with your body that you're safe and that it's okay to let go of that fight and flight mode 
is to do some sort of deep breathing exercise. Now, it doesn't need to be meditation, just even four, seven, eight breathing where you're inhaling for four seconds, you're holding it for seven, and then you're exhaling for eight seconds. Even doing that four or five times will be enough to immediately get you out of that fight and flight mode and regulate your breath and communicate with your body that you're safe and you're in a safe place now. Now, is that something that, that you'd recommend people do every day? Yeah, I mean, I would recommend it multiple times a day because like I was saying earlier, it's very likely that with everything going on, just externally, let alone with everything in your own life, that you're being put constantly in this fight and flight mode. So if it's more chronic and you really feel like you're not in a good mental state of mind and you're not having a positive and optimistic outlook, another thing that I would recommend is taking a cold shower which really just serves to shock your nervous system and also in a larger way communicates with your body that that fight and flight mode is gone. You're good to go and you can kind of get back into rest and digest. Cold shower, huh? Absolutely. I take one. Every day. Isn't that painful? Absolutely. Well, that, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, these things, uh, you know, I mean, we could talk about this later, but there, you know, change is constant. Progress is not. But in order to have progressive change, there's a process that you need to go through that is uncomfortable. And you know that that state of mind where you're in rest and digest that needs yeah. to be earned. So it's naturally going to be an uncomfortable process, whether you're deep breathing or whether you're taking a cold shower. So if you if you don't actually you know take these steps to um, get get out of um, to get out of this fight or flight mode, can you really even take steps to get to get and stay healthy in terms of eating and exercise? Well, I, I would say no because again, think about a lion chasing you. You're, the last thing on your mind is like, what do I eat? Or like, should I be sleeping? Or should I be doing this? <laughs> Like a lion is chasing you right now. Like if you don't get out of that state, ultimately you're going to, like I was saying earlier, break down your body. That excess stress will then lead into sickness, disease, and things like that. Oh, so our stress is making us sick. Yes. Oh, well, good. That's at least good to know that, um, that that's one way you can keep yourself, um, away from the doctor's office at least. So, um, well, I guess the question I have for you on that, uh, on that point is, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, they'll stay healthy just by taking vitamins and supplements and all of these sorts of things. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is it, it might just, you almost will be effect, as effective at keeping yourself healthy just by addressing your stress. And is that, am I hearing you right? Absolutely. Um, and, and if I'd love to make a point about vitamins and minerals and supplements, yeah. um, which is that. Um, the reason why vitamin C works really well in an orange is because of the environment the orange is in, everything else in the orange. But once you extract the vitamin C out of its natural environment and you put it in a pill or a capsule, not only will it not have the same effectiveness, but sometimes it's been shown to actually have the exact opposite effect of what its natural and normal function is. So a lot of these times when you're taking these multivitamins and supplements and minerals, really they're taken out of their natural environment. And not only are they no longer effective as much, 
but they're no longer serving their normal and natural function anymore. Well, then why do you think it is that, um, that we're told repeatedly by people out in the world to take vitamins? Is it just capitalism? People are trying to make money or are there some people that actually think that vitamins actually do something? Well, that, I guess it's not as much of a blanket statement. There are some vitamins that do well, like even more so when they're out of their natural environment. Like, um, but for, for the most part, like if you take some, like think about it like a fish. If you take some fish out of water, the fish will die. Other fish, if you take out of water, they'll do okay on land and other fish will thrive. So that's the same case when it comes to vitamins and minerals. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. So I think we, we kind of addressed um, why, um, you know, it's, it's so important to address your mental state before you start, you know, dealing with healthy habits like, you know, better diet and exercise. Um, so I kind of want to go on to talk a little bit about accountability. And, um, you know, it's all well and good to say that you need to do these things. But we all know that when you start going through a very stressful situation, a lot of people just forget everything that they should be doing and um, do very bad things like, you know, eat, eat really bad, drink a lot of alcohol, stop exercising, stop getting enough sleep. So how do you, who, let me put it this way, who should you be accountable to and how do you go about being accountable? Um, I think the first person you need to be accountable to is yourself. Um, and then after that, I would say there is a lot of power in peer accountability where you don't want to let other people down, right? Like we will we'll often do more for others than we'll do for ourselves, right? A lot of people put others first before they put themselves first. So there is a lot of power in peer group accountability, which is actually why I use that in my own program. But beyond that, self-accountability is ultimately where you want to get to. And the path to getting there is actually a skill where you actually make and keep and follow through on the promises that you're making to yourself. So for example, if you say, you know what, today I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. If you don't wake up at 6 a.m., you're going to lose a little bit of self-trust with yourself. And then you'll eventually identify as somebody that doesn't follow through on the promises that they make to themselves. That's not consistent. That's a flaker. And then like having that identity with yourself, that self-worth and respect with yourself, that's going to impact the level of action and accountability that you'll have long-term. So really the foundation is start small and make sure that you are following through on the promises that you're making to yourself the things that you said you were going to actually do. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I mean, one thing that um, that I really believe in is uh, using your calendar and, um, you know, calendaring everything. And you're right. If you say, listen, I'm going to wake up every day at 6 a.m., but you do it on Monday and Tuesday, and then by Wednesday at 6.30, and then Thursday, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. It's 7 a.m., and then by Friday, you're just sitting there looking at your phone until 7.30, you know, you didn't build a habit. You're just, you know, you kind of, you start off the week good and then went downhill. And I can see how that would impact you because that's akin to eating great on Monday. And by Friday, 
you know, you've got your head, you know, completely in a bag of chips. And, you know, it's, it, I guess it's that whole adage, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Uh, so I totally get that. Um, how, how do you look at, you know, building habits and building a lifestyle? Because a lot of what I, you know, I, I'm not telling you something you don't know, but a lot of reason, you know, people don't do well on diets is because they look at it as the short-term fix for something and they don't think of a lifestyle. So how long does it take to build habits and to build right. a lifestyle? Well, it's been shown um, for the average person, it could take anywhere from as short as 21 days to as long as 60 days to build a habit. For the most part, it is 21 days of consistency. And then to build a lifestyle where it's kind of like riding a bike. At first it's difficult, but then it's natural and easy. That part of it usually takes 90 days. Okay. So, um, so if you're, if you're going to go on any kind of diet plan or exercise plan, um, doing it for anything shorter than 90 days is just a waste of your time with it. Is that kind of how you would look at it? Absolutely. Which is why I structure like the minimum of commitment is a 90 day program with how I structure my own program. Yeah. Well, so after 90 days, um, how do you, how do you actually maintain that lifestyle? You know, because we all know like anything in the world, if you don't work at it, it it'll go away. So right. how do you maintain the lifestyle after you've sort of gotten there? Well, I think the key is to have something grander than just a goal, just to have a real clear, distinct vision of the kind of body, if we're talking about our bodies here, the type of body that you want to have long-term. So for 2021, I have a very clear, distinct vision of the type of body I want to have. So even after the 90 days is up, I still have something to work towards. And that something to work towards gives me my motivation to keep going. Wow. So do you mind us asking what, what your goal is for 2021? I love that you asked, actually. So my goal is to become a Gymshark-sponsored athlete and get on the covers of Men Health. Wow. Well, good. So whenever we see that, we see you on the cover, we'll know that you actually got to your goal. Yes. And I have no doubt that you will. Thank you. So you are very motivated. All right. So, okay. So we talked about um, stress and how it impacts your body, how we sort of deal with that and try to get out of the fight or flight mode, how you know that you're in fight or flight mode and why it's important to address that and who you're accountable to. So let's talk a little bit about building some healthy habits when you're going through a stressful situation. Cause it's really something that a lot of people, it's probably the last thing they're thinking about. Um, but really that's so unfortunate to think that way because it can just set yourself up for, you know, months or years of just going downhill, you know, gaining weight, losing muscle mass, feeling miserable. So let, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about how we build a healthy habit. So whenever you're, okay, let's assume that you've recognized you're in fight or flight and you've tried to address it. What would you say is the first thing that you would tell someone to do to start down the road of either maintaining yourself or making yourself better when you start entering this really stressful time in your life? I would say that you need to have rituals and systems in place, not habits. And here's the difference between a ritual and a habit. A habit is cue driven. 
So for example, I'm sitting in this environment in the specific seat with the specific desk and laptop in front of me. And if every time I'm here, I eat popcorn, no matter if it's 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 12 a.m., 2 p.m., anytime I go back into this environment, I've trained my body to eat popcorn whenever I'm sitting in front of a computer screen. That's a habit. A ritual is where you do the exact same thing at an exact time every day without fail. And that's where, that's how you systematize making sure you're getting out of fight and flight and into rest and digest. So for a practical example of what that looks like is the reason why most people aren't consistent with their exercise is because one day they exercise at 2 p.m., the next day they exercise at 7 p.m., the next day they exercise at 11 a.m., And that's kind of like you going to work one day at 9 a.m., but then the next day at 2 a.m., and then the next day at 3 p.m. At some point, you'd be like, I don't like this job at all. This is a horrible job, right? And in the exact same way, if you're not ritualizing your exercise, you're not going to stay consistent with it. So what I would say to that person is you need a ritual that consistently breaks you out of fight and flight mode because you just at this point need to expect you're going to be there at least once a day. So the way that you start your day is very important. It's kind of like going down a tunnel. Once you go down this certain path, you keep going down that same direction. So if you start your day by making sure you get out of fight and flight, the rest of your day will domino effect and making sure that you're not going to be reactive and that you'll remain in control. So what I would recommend for this person is do something within the first 30 minutes of the day, that's either some sort of deep breathing exercise, whether that's meditation, or what I prefer is just cold showers first thing in the morning. I immediately get out of fight and flight, and now I have kind of framed my day in a way where I'm proactive versus being reactive and reacting to external situations or external people or external things. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, I will tell you, I am guilty of not exercising the same time all the time, um, and uh, I, I can see I can see why it's not impacting me because I actually have someone who's monitoring whether or not I am exercising. So I can certainly see that if you don't have that, that you know, exercising the same time every day, getting up the same time every day, are basically the only way to make sure that you long term stick to something. Um, I mean, that's, that's terribly important. So how does that, uh, let, let's talk about like, um, like meals and stuff. I mean, is it, is it important that um, every day you kind of try to eat the same time every day, you eat the same number of meals every day? Is, is that all important too? Absolutely. If you want to, same exact concept with your nutrition. Um, as humans, we naturally get hungry every three to four hours. So from your first meal, you should be eating every three to four hours. And there's this common misnomer that if you eat past 6 or 7 p.m. that you're going to gain weight. And that's just not true. Scientifically, the only thing that will cause you to gain weight is other than like obviously if you're in a surplus amount of calories is an excess amount of foods that aren't congruent with your specific body type. So for example, if you're a carb type and you go on keto, like that is not going to work with your metabolism and things like that. But how do, how do you find out what body type you have? Right. So there's three main body types. You're either a carb, protein, or a mixed type. And depending on which one you are, you have certain nutritional needs. 
And really there are a certain set of questions that you can ask. Uh, I have a quiz that I usually send to my clients um, that shows them which one they are, but just three quick questions you can ask yourself to find out just a kind of brief overview of which one you are is, do you find that you have broad shoulders or more narrow shoulders? And just kind of bookmark the answer in your head. Um, do you find that you prefer warmer weather or colder weather? Do you, do you find that you prefer darker meats or lighter meats? So if you answered, I have broad shoulders, I like the cold and I like darker meats, very likely that you are a protein type. If you answered, I have narrow shoulders, I'm a summer baby and I prefer lighter meats, very likely that you're a carb type. And then if you had a mixed answer, it's very likely that you're in between, you're a mixed type. All right. And so, so what you're saying is if you, if you're a, if you're eating not con congruent with your body type, that can really sabotage your weight loss. Right. Exactly. Because awesome. you're eating in the exact opposite way of your biological preference. Cause we're as different on the outside from each other as we physically are on the inside from each other. Well, that's so, that's so interesting. Cause we, you know, years and years ago, the whole thing was low fat, low fat, low fat, low fat, low fat. And then the whole Atkins craze came. I don't remember when that was, but it was a while ago. And then, then we got to keto and paleo and all these other diets. And it seems to me what you're saying is ignore all of that, figure out what you should be eating, eat good foods and get a schedule, stick to it, eat every three or four hours. Am I oversimplifying it or is that basically what you're saying? That was perfect. Good all right. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to, I want to ask you about some kind of specific things that I, I suspect that people that are um, stressed out are more likely to do or eat or consume. And I just want to ask you why it's, why it's not good to, to consume these things both generally and certainly while you're really stressed out. And the first one is the thing that you, that you yell at me about all the time, which is sodium intake. So what, what does sodium do to you? Why is it so important that you cut it out? And um, what are the consequences if you don't? Right. So uh, the first thing I would say is if you're preparing your meals at home and you're adding sodium to your meals by yourself, like salt, that's completely fine. The problem becomes when you're having takeout and processed food and processed carbs, the sodium levels are unnaturally high and that causes your body to retain water. And the main problem with that is a lot of people are emotionally attached to the scale. No judgments, good or bad, right? <laughs> and when you see the weight not change or go up, really when you're seeing water retention and bloat weight, that can put you into a not so positive state of mind, kind of discouragement. So that's really the reason why I recommend just watching your sodium intake. It's really not that sodium is bad. It's just that if your sodium levels are too high, you're going to retain water. And then obviously if they're way too high, then there's health implications as well, like blood pressure and things like that. But for the most part, if you're salting your food yourself, salt is a very necessary like mineral that we need. So it's great if you're doing and you're preparing your for your food for your by yourself at home. Yeah, I was going I was going through our kitchen the other day and I realized that like everything has sodium in it. 
um, milk has sodium in it. I mean, it's like anything and everything that's that's processed in any way, shape, or form has some sodium in it. Um, you know, maybe that maybe the people that um, subscribe to the paleo diet have something have something there because they're eating things that don't have sodium in them because they're not eating processed food. Um, okay, so uh, so that's good. So how do you know that if you step on a scale and it says a number that you don't really like, how would you know whether that's actually legitimate weight gain or water retention because maybe you've been eating too much sodium? Right. So there's a difference between like fat and bloat weight. They're two, two separate things. So there's fat and then there's bloat. Bloat is made up of like water and air when you have an excess amount of water in your intestines. And then fat is actually when you're storing and gaining like body fat. And the way you know is if you ever have a huge jump or a huge drop in your weight at any given week, like you lose five to seven pounds or you gain five to seven pounds over the course of a week, it's very likely that most of that is bloat weight and not actually fat. Some of it may be fat, maybe one to two pounds, but most of it would be bloat weight because your body just doesn't work that way, right? When it comes to weight loss and even muscle gain, your body's kind of like Rome, right? Rome wasn't built in a day, but it wasn't destroyed in a day either. It took many, many years kind of thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of like gaining or losing weight, um, how, like, I know that, I know that there's different schools of thought of whether or not you should weigh yourself every day or once a week. Um, which school do you fall in? And if you do weigh yourself every day and you see like, you know, you see this going on every single day, is that something you should be concerned about? Um, so really when it comes to the scale, it's just a tool to measure progress. It's not a definitive thing that is like end all be all, which is why I recommend having multiple progress indicators because even though I do recommend the scale to my clients because I'm confident in the weight loss that they're going to have, there's also other things that you can do like wear a certain jean or a certain t-shirt or use a measuring tape. And all these things will also show you. But really when it comes to the scale, the best way to have the most accurate measurement is to either A, weigh yourself once a week at a consistent time under a consistent set of circumstances. So if you weigh yourself Friday morning at 7 a.m., every Friday morning at 7 a.m., you're weighing yourself under the same exact circumstances without changing anything. It's kind of like a doctor's appointment where they tell you, don't eat anything, don't drink anything kind of thing because they want to keep as many variables as constant as possible to get the most accurate result. And it's the exact same way with the scale. So that's number one, you can weigh yourself once a week. Now, the most accurate way, number two, is to weigh yourself every day under the same time, circumstances, and environment, and then taking the weekly average. That's technically the most accurate way to get a good gauge of where you actually are with your weight on the scale. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of people out there that need, need to hear that because, um, you know, they'll, they'll either not get on the scale at all because they're scared of what it's going to say, or they'll do it every day and they'll see these, you know, these fluctuations day to day in their weight for any number of reasons and get distraught about it and sort of give up and not think the long game. 
Um, you know, it's, I think you've told me this before, slow and boring is better. You know, the, the weight loss should may, may come off fast depending on what's going on, or it could be slow and boring. And over time, it'll just add up. I think that's something that a lot of people need to hear because it's su such a misconception. But of course, we live in a we live in a time where everyone wants instant gratification. They're like, "I ate good today. Why don't I weigh less?" You know, it's like constant like that. Um, I hear it from people all the time. Oh, I started a diet week week ago, but I haven't lost any weight. Well, you know, it might be something like sodium, and you know, you're still bloating up from all this crap you're eating. Right. And I, uh, okay, so let's let's talk about are there specific foods that um, can actually increase your stress and be counterproductive in um, this kind of uh, circumstance that we're talking about? Absolutely. Um, so this isn't something I talk about too much because I, I'm, I'm a huge nutrition nerd. I guess I don't show all of my nutritional nerd parts of myself. <laughs> but, um, acidic foods specifically um we're living in a very acidic kind of lifestyle where our alkaline acidic balance is completely off our water is acidic our food for the most part we're eating acidic food so our body is highly acidic which causes a massive amount of stress and inflammation which also contributes to the mental stress that you experience so making sure you're just being aware that most processed foods are more acid based than alkaline right? Um, having, you know, these drinks, alcohol, very acidic versus alkaline, not sleeping enough, very acidic versus alkaline, just trying to add more alkaline foods into your diet and trying to just cut back on the acidic food. So processed foods, we all know aren't good for us. This is one of the reasons why, you know, vegetables are great for us. This is also one of the reasons why. Never heard that before that vegetables are good for you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know what one thing um one particular thing i wanted to ask you about were um artificial sweeteners um what did those do to you and do they have any impact on you know this inflammation and all these things that you've been talking about absolutely so this is something that a lot of people wouldn't want to hear because i know like splenda sweet and low and all of these artificial sweeteners are zero calorie and they've you know, been shown to be better than real sugar. But really the problem is they act just in the same way as sugar does and they promote fat storing mode and promote your, you know, your body gaining body fat. So it's really, they act just as violently, if not more than sugar does. Really? Oh, that, that's certainly something that all the companies have been keeping from us because, um, you know, artificial sweeteners are in like everything these days uh, because of this whole low carb craze that the whole, the whole world seems to be in anymore where, <laughs> you know, you hear some people say you shouldn't even eat fruit because it's got too many carbs in it. And it right. makes you just want to bang your head against the wall. Like how, how can fruit be bad for you? It's, I mean, fruits and vegetables are just, you know, they're natural. I mean, um, okay. You, you, talked about this a little bit before, but um, one thing that I can guarantee that just about everybody that's going through a very, very stressful situation in their life is more likely to start abusing alcohol than they would be otherwise. What exactly does alcohol do to your body? And 
it, let's assume for a minute that um, you feel like you want to have some. It, is it completely not allowed in a diet? And if it is allowed, what are your sort of guidelines for that? Um, so I'm a very big fan of like just getting the most out of the least. So for example, if you're eating a specific way and you're living a specific way, let's just keep your eating as is and let's see what happens if we just add in the exercise, you know, like fast hit training three times a week, 30 minutes each. And if you're losing weight from that, let's see how far that can take you before we begin to add more steps. So I'm not a fan of like, take that out and restrict this and restrict that. So I wouldn't say that it's necessary to take it out completely, but as far as what alcohol does for to your body and the reason why it's not a great idea just for your overall health, but also for weight loss is because it actually stops the process of fat breaking down. It halts it completely because essentially how your body processes alcohol is as a poison. So everything stops and your body's main attention your, all of your lower bodily functions really stop. And your body's main attention goes to trying to filter the alcohol out of your system, which is why you begin peeing a lot when you're having alcohol. Wow. I did not know that. I actually didn't know that it, um, it stopped fat from uh, being digested. It's not digested, just broken down, right? So it gets digested and then what? It just enters your body. And because your body's trying to process the alcohol, it just doesn't process the fat. Is that kind of what happens? Correct. That's interesting. So another, so another thing that people consume uh, when they're stressed out, um, aside from alcohol, is a lot of caffeine. Um, you know, because maybe they they're very tired because they have bad <laughs> bad habits. Um, they're very tired, so they drink a lot of coffee to try to keep themselves awake, or they drink a lot of Red Bulls or Monsters or whatever. Um, does does caffeine have any negative impacts on your health in the circumstances that we've been talking about? I was actually really hoping you'd ask me about this. So I'm really happy that you did because caffeine at some level in everyone causes either a low, medium, or high degree of body anxiety, which is different from the anxiety that you would experience on, on a mental level. And when your body feels that anxiety, it's almost so low level, you can't kind of catch it. But what ends up happening is the way people respond to body anxiety is different. So most of the time, what we found in like science is that most people respond to body anxiety by binge eating, actually, because they're trying to get rid of that feeling, right? So when you have an excess amount of caffeine, you're increasing your body anxiety and you're actually increasing the chance of having an episodic binge eating, like really. So th that is the main issue with caffeine. Now, I'm not asking anyone to give up coffee. <laughs> um, that would be evil. So what I would recommend is you can do something where you add butter, a tablespoon of butter to your coffee. This is known as bulletproof coffee. And what that does is the fat in the butter acts as a diffuser and it helps spread the caffeine out over a longer period of time rather than hitting you all at once. And what that also helps do is really decrease the body anxiety that you experience significantly so much so that you won't experience that same binge eating that you would had you had it without the butter. That's fascinating. I mean, I've never heard that about the butter and coffee. I mean, I've, I've heard of people doing that, but mainly it was, you know, I did keto years ago and that was one of the, 
one of the things that, you know, was advocated to, you know, add more fat into your diet. Some people have a hard time eating enough fat. I don't because I love almonds. So I never have that problem. Um, oh, wow. That's, that's just fascinating. So be careful. You can have your caffeine, but if you're having too many cups of coffee, add some butter into maybe one or two of the cups. Maybe it'll help, help it out. Does it taste weird? I've never done it before. Um, well, I, I have a biased taste to it. I love butter. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, awesome. All right. So, uh, the last question I have for you is about intermittent fasting, which, um, I hear more and more people that I know talk about it and it seems to have become almost like the next, you know, diet craze out in the world. Um, I'm just curious what your opinion is of it. Have you ever suggested that people follow it? And if people do, what can they really expect to get out of it? Right. So in, fasting in of itself is amazing. Like it, fasting helps your body with autophagy, which is self-healing. Your body heals itself. Fasting allows your body to kind of give it a break from eating. So it helps clean out your colon, your digestion system. Fasting in of itself is amazing. Intermittent fasting is a tool, but the problem becomes when you try to make the tool the main thing, right? The, it's just a tool. It's not the house. The house is what you're actually eating during your window of intermittent fasting, right? So here's why I personally don't recommend intermittent fasting. And the reason is because most people try to starve their fat off. And you can't starve fat off. You can only burn fat off. And the only way that you can burn fat off is through exercise, right? So when you're doing intermittent fasting, you just got to remember it's a tool. It's not the actual thing. It's just a mechanism, to, you know? So it, it's really what are you eating during that time? And are you actually starving before that? And if you are, that's not a good place to be because you're actually losing a lot of muscle mass fascinating article that showed that people that intermittent fasted on average over a 90 day period lost three more pounds than people that didn't intermittent fast, but that weight was not from fat. It was actually from muscle. So you oh. might have a faster three pound weight loss of muscle in the front end, but then the lower amount of muscle you rate, you maintain while losing fat, the slower your metabolism is going to become. So you have a faster weight loss on the front end, and then you end up plateauing, yo-yoing, and having a slower weight loss on the back end. Fascinating. Um, I, you know, I, I suspect a lot of people haven't heard much about intermittent fasting, but that's all fascinating. That um, uh, you need to be careful if that's something that you're gonna that you want to do. Um, I personally have tried to do it before, and it's just not. It just can't work because I prefer to have like almond milk in my coffee. And I, I tried to drink it black and I am not a black coffee drinker. It doesn't matter how much I try, I cannot do it. And I like to have coffee in the morning when I get up. So that kind of destroyed intermittent fasting because you have to have at least the evening or the morning <laughs> where you're not eating anything. Well, anyway, well, that's good to hear that you don't need to do it. You just need to build some healthy habits and, um, and weight loss will come off. If you are interested in the fast hit training method, which I will tell you is really awesome, uh, you know, it, I, I think any any 
exercise where you don't have to go to a gym or you know have to have any specific equipment. It's just awesome. So if you're really interested in that, learn a little bit more how to become a little bit healthier. You know, uh, look up Ursulan on Facebook, and soon he will have a website. It'll be Fit Hit. At, I'm sorry. What is it going to be? Fitbody.com and that Fitbody.com. I couldn't find it in my notes. Fitbody.com will be up soon, but go to his Facebook page, connect with him. He puts out just incredible daily content, lots of videos that are just in, incredible. I love them. Um, I actually watch them every single day because I just, I've learned so much every day from him and I think you will too. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ursulan. I hope everyone learned a little something. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone did as well. Hope it was helpful. Wonderful. Okay, everyone have a great day. We'll see you next time.